Welcome to Vincent Price's Laugh. Good evening, Elby. Hey, Andrew. Good evening, everyone. Tonight's podcast has been kind of a long time coming. Yes. So it's really a heavy burden to go through this, and Elby's done it. <laughs> uh, the extensive research into the early 70s children's show, The Banana Splits. Wait, I got it wrong. Hold on. Sorry. Tonight's episode is about the movie Split. Hello. Hello, my name is Casey Cook. I've been abducted with two other girls. There's a man here. He's got multiple personalities. Please, somebody save us. I was sent to get you for a reason. We have to get out of here. Mm -mm. Someone's coming for you. Who's coming? You're not going to like it. Split. By M. Night Shyamalan. Okay. So if you please enlighten all the folks out there without televisions or access to (laughs) movies, what Split is about. Oh, there's so much going on in this movie. Okay, so so the bare bones synopsis of the movie Split is that a man kidnaps three teenage girls and it turns out this man has 23 different personalities. Or is it 24? could be 24 right he does suffer from dissociative identity disorder which is more commonly referred to as multiple personalities so the story is uh following these girls and and how they're going to get away from him if they can get away from him and there's a psychologist who has been treating him and we follow her as well ah spoiler alert the end reveals that bruce willis is a psychiatrist ghost from sixth sense what he just shows up and he's like, I'm a, a ghost. ghost? <laughs> you know, I haven't seen The Sixth Sense. Well, I just ruined it for you. I think. And everyone else. Yeah, I, I think that time has ruined it for me. Yeah, yeah, time has ruined everything. Yeah, you know, I, I was never actually interested in seeing it. No, nah, it's all right. Whatever. Uh, it's actually, other than Wide Awake, it's my least favorite Shyamalan movie. I didn't really give a darn about it. Hmm. But then he did Unbreakable, which was pretty good. Unbreakable. <laughs> That's the wrong one. Oh. No, it was pretty good until the end was just abrupt. I mean, too abrupt. I don't mind abrupt yeah. endings. It just felt like truncated or something like that. Just cut it off really quick. No, no. I'm with you. I'm with you there. I didn't uh, like it. Other Shyamalan movies... I tend to like the majority of, right? Mm -hmm. And they go through, well, that one's a superhero movie. The first one was a ghost movie that played out like a drama. Holy crap. (laughs) And then the rest are like a combination of fantastical and drama. Fantastical dramas. Mm -hmm. And then he gets into some shaky ground with... The Happening, which is hilarious without intending to be, I think. I don't think it's a case of The Room where, no, it's meant to be a black comedy. (laughs) Right. No, The Happening is just too funny on accident. Everybody is acting in a different movie. I agree with that. Especially Zoe. Right! Zoe Deschanel in that is so weird. Like, I, I want to know what her direction was. I do too. But... 
we can't know, or maybe not right now. And like then I didn't see the last airbender or After Earth. I didn't Mm-mm. care to. I mean, Mm-mm. I heard that After Earth was an ego piece for Will Smith and his yeah. boy. So I don't really care. But then The Visit came out and we were like, oh, that's a good movie, surprisingly. <laughs> yeah, I enjoyed it a lot. That was fun. And then this one also snuck up on us and we're like, what the heck? Just keep working with the Blumhouse. Yeah, I really think it's a combination of M. Night and Jason Bloom. You know, M. Night, you've got a good head on your shoulders. You've been given a lot of money before, but you've squandered it. So we're going to take away all your money, but we're going to give you all the freedom. Make something magical. That's pretty much it. And, you know, it's low budgets are better. Well, there's something great about a good, healthy budget. Right. But an overblown, huge budget and you get a major star, it's where the money goes. Yeah, when you have less money, you're forced to be more creative with how you spend that money. So your movie ends up being more of a labor of love. Well, as evident with Robert Rodriguez and his documentary, Full Tilt Bogey, I think it's called. Full tilt bogey. Yeah. yeah, bogey. I said bogey. It's the same spelling, <laughs> but I said it's totally like bogeyman. Full tilt bogey is about his making of From Dust Till Dawn yeah. without the help of a guild behind him. Directors yeah. Guild or unions. Uh-huh. And that's all he must make it work. Right. Or else. So, absolutely, I'm with you on that knowledge. Actually, I agree with that for the most part. I know that you can't make something like Alien Covenant or something without a giant budget. (laughs) Right? But that's why they also only have one major named star, even though there's pedigree stars speckled throughout. Right, yeah. There's one major name, and then just let that be. The rest are just solid workman actors who are awesome. Mm -hmm. And so, you need a big budget for some things, but not most things. That's where Blumhouse comes. In. They always limit their budgets. Everything comes in under budget and on time, and they give, if not total creative freedom, mostly creative freedom. Yeah. So that's awesome, and that's what happened with Split. What were you expecting when you saw Split? You just saw one trailer. Yeah, yeah, I don't really know what I was expecting. I'm going to go ahead and say that I'm not sure if I really like Split. I appreciate it for what it is. I'm not sure that I'm like fully into it. And like I said, there's a lot going on in it. And like I understand a lot about it. I don't know if I like it. So like I'm not really sure if I had any sort of expectation from the trailer. I'm not really sure what I got played on any sort of expectation. Okay, yeah. The one thing I went in with in my head was, I hope this is good. Yeah. But the trailer showed me, whoa, this looks interesting. Right. And that's where I am. Mm -hmm. I think the movie is a well-made movie. I don't think the tack-on at the end is necessary for it to be a good movie. I think that's also just interesting. We'll probably get to that later. Right. We watched this again. We watched it both times, in theater and at home. And you had said that when he changes characters, James McAvoy is the actor portraying the one man with the 23 or 4 personalities. That when he switches between the characters' voices, his face and his demeanor adjusts to that rather amazingly. We should stand up to the Horde's advances and face off their scare tactics. All the doctors, besides Dr. Fletcher, say that we're the same person. I'm wearing cargo pants from the 90s. And the scarf. 
Yeah, it's very seamless. And I'm wondering how that was edited. Like, it might be an editing trick, but I don't want to take away from James McAvoy's acting capabilities because I know a lot of people have problems with him for some reason. Like, I really what? don't. Yeah, I really don't. Like, I guess maybe he's just annoying to some people. And I mean, that's fine, whatever. But Well, Colin Farrell used to annoy me because he only did one kind of acting until he didn't. And then he won me over. Oh, yeah, sure, sure. And so James McAvoy, in a lot of things, plays the cute boy James McAvoy. Mm -hmm. But in a healthy amount of movies, like Filth, Mm -hmm. that's just one of them. But he's playing rougher, stranger characters. Yeah. And this is more in line with that. Yeah, it's really an amazing transformation, really. This movie doesn't seem like it... You know, I hate to use the word Oscar worthy or whatever. It doesn't seem like it's one of those, but... The performance seems so. Yeah, he does a really great job. And I I don't like Oscars. Mm-hmm. Hate awards like that. But if you're going to give it to somebody for <laughs> acting in a film, regardless of what kind of film it is, genre usually doesn't get it. It should be James McAvoy because that's such an incredible performance. Mm-hmm. Eventually, when you do see him changing on camera between characters, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. And I don't like to throw the word amazing around too lightly. That's actually a pet peeve of mine. Amazing. Shut up. <laughs> Most of the time, it's pretty neat. Yeah, it's just, it's all right. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. So up. So I have a question for you. Okay. Considering the ending mm-hmm. reveals that this is a superhero movie, okay. sort of. Yeah. It's a villain origin. Yeah. Do you also think that this movie is, as purported, a horror film? Oh. Okay. So I have qualms with the fact that horror fans continually call out movies for not being horror movies. Like they say, Oh, that movie's a psychological thriller. Or, Oh no, it's just a mystery. Or, A suspense story. That's not a horror movie. That's an art film. Or, you know, something like that. I really hate that because most of the films that they are referencing do have horror elements. Alright, we did one title for What Did We Just Watch that was Art House and Horror. Mm-hmm. All at the same time, and it was Neon Demon. But people were swearing that it was a thriller. Yeah. Or just an art house film. Mm-hmm. They just would refuse to call it horror, except there's so much horror in it. Right. This film split. I don't think it's a horror film. Gasp! I know. However, <laughs> Elby, there are horrific things going on. Sure, there are monsters, there is an abusive situation. So what makes this not a horror film and just a thriller? I was thinking about this. What are the elements of a horror movie? First of all, there's fear. Dread. Yes, tension. There is suspense. There's mystery. There's gore in it. Like, I'm not saying that that's a definitive Yeah, uh, but typically... Element go horror movie oh there's gonna be gore right watching this film i don't feel many of those elements i don't feel afraid i feel interested so you think the movie failed in rising the tension of the girls getting away i don't think it failed so much in it wasn't boring or uninteresting or it wasn't a case of you just didn't care if they got away or not but you know it didn't get my blood racing at any point hmm i wonder if you're just desensitized or since this is a pg-13 film Mm -hmm. it didn't 
have enough of the dark stuff in it. Maybe. Though the movie gets really dark. Mm-hmm. So the girls that are abducted are abducted based on an assumption. Mm-hmm. And this assumption was by one of the personalities, Dennis, who watching them for too short of a time, for four weeks, watching them being teen girls, and he only watched two of them. So the extra girl is, of course, going to be the ringer, the one that is the wild card. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no idea. So he has no clue about her. He knows about the other two, which are kind of kept girls. They're mm-hmm. they're not wanting. They're not lacking anything. They're beautiful. They're sporty. They have strong girl heads on their shoulders. They're confident. Yeah, some yeah. would say overconfident. Can they really overpower a yeah, guy that maybe. can pick them up so easily type of thing? Yeah, yeah. Which is a point brought up in the film. Mm-hmm. you got to assess the situation, and they're not assessing the situation, which led me to think that the lessons that are being taught to the younger people these days, you can do anything lessons Mm. limitations of a person isn't actually there are natural limitations to people men and women limitations that we have physically Mm -hmm. and that didn't seem to be instilled in these two girls well the one girl she took karate lessons i took six months of kempo karate class and you distract the assailant with pain you know the only chance the only chance we have is if all three of us go crazy on this guy so you think that they have a false sense of confidence yes yes i took karate and you can listen to all that on some other episode of what did we just watch (laughs) the last dragon but the thing that really happens in karate classes is you are given a certain amount of confidence Mm -hmm. you're given a certain amount of discipline but unless you're really going to get into it you're not going to be what kind of hero karate movies present Uh people to be when you are learning when they first start teaching you they say forget everything you know about karate whatever you see in movies it's all wrong and the whole point is to avoid a fight not get into a fight yeah so it's all about personal discipline and it's really beneficial in that way but if you're really going to get into the stuntman aspect of it that's when you probably can kick some butt otherwise you're not going to really be able to do much that's my personal belief so it's definitely a false sense of confidence mm-hmm. but our current climate the girl who invited our protagonist to the party she's got such a dorky caring father Mm -hmm. who totally loves her and gives her kind of whatever she wants and everything and she seems to be from a upper middle class family anyway so of course you know you're precious Mm-hmm. So the lessons she's told over and over is basically, I'm assuming, but I don't think incorrectly, that she's a Disney princess. That she can do anything if she puts her mind to it. But in this type of situation, every lesson that she's ever learned like that is out the window. And she doesn't realize that. Right. And Casey, who's played by Anya Taylor-Joy, she's the one who has the real life experience to be able to possibly get out of this situation. I think it's worth mentioning that these girls who were abducted, the planned abduction, Claire and Marsha, they are not your typical horror trope girls in trouble. They're not the bad girls who are into sex and drugs and rock and roll and all that stuff. They're not being punished because they're bad or what society deems as bad. They're being punished because they're good. They're good girls. They're normal. They're protected. Yeah. That's the line from the movie. (laughs) You always been protected you've never truly suffered and that's why we chose you you've always been asleep a scrape on a knee is not suffering but to them it probably would be right so that brings the question of uh does hardship equal enlightenment Well, the movie Martyrs would have you think so. Remember how the whole point of that was to see a person reach enlightenment 
mm-hmm. and hopefully experience part of that enlightenment by having that person strung up and flayed and then there will be a moment of enlightenment through their martyrdom. It's a twisted French new wave horror film. French new horror? What is it? French wave? It's one of those <laughs> mid-2000s movies. Really good, but really messed up. And so it's always been there in philosophies that the more struggle you have, the more enlightened you might become. Mm-hmm. I think it is all a matter of perspective. True. There's the idea that hardship can make you a better person, like a smarter person. Some experiences make you more adaptive or sharper, more critical of things, like able to think your way out of a situation rather than just reacting. A lot of that has to do with post-traumatic emotional growth. Like you said, it's a case-by-case basis on how a person is going to react in any given situation. Whereas our girl, the one that we're following... Casey. She seems to be uncooperative with the other girls. Mm-hmm. And she's not really being uncooperative. She's trying to say, assess the situation, calm down, think about what's going on. Mm-hmm. Because you don't know what's going on. So wait, pick up some clues. And when we find an open, we will find an open Yeah. to get out. Yeah. Those other two girls just aren't responsive to it. Right. And Casey has a, I mean, a... Her backstory unfolds throughout the film in flashback. It's super horrific. Mm -hmm. I hate the backstory, and I want to ask you. Mm -hmm. Do you think it's really necessary? Uh, Like, to show us in detail what happened, or...? It's part of her character, I get it. But do you think that it was really necessary for that to be a filmic... Part. Yeah, I think so. It's it's uncomfortable, yes. uh, of course, but it's a serious subject matter, and I, I think it requires the given time to it to really fully understand what Casey is going through, like how she became who she is and uh, what her motivations are. And I appreciate something like a flashback a little bit more than just character expository. Sure. Okay. You know, so... Because, like, I guess we'd have to take her word for it if she says, look, I I got this scar on my elbow Uh from this situation. Trust me, I know what I'm talking about. Right. Which is actually very interesting that she never brings this up. Right. So she She's just head down, paying attention. Mm -hmm. So, okay, I follow you there. I get you. Because those scenes really did make me uncomfortable, as well they should. Mm -hmm. That's the point. Because they're awful. She is, as a child, and possibly even currently, molested or raped by her uncle. Mm -hmm. And there's a cool little interesting moment at the end of the film regarding that. We said spoiler alert, sort of joking, but trust it. Spoiler alert. It's true. She does get away, obviously. It's a PG-13 film. Very rarely do they have the protagonist just get offed or disappeared or whatever. So she gets away and she's sitting with the police and the lady comes up and says, Your uncle's here. You ready to go? And that's been revealed earlier through flashback to be her guardian and she just stares at the police officer and the police officer turns her head like you got something to tell me mm-hmm. and she just steely eyes the cop for a while and then it fades to black type of thing which to me makes me think that she's gonna squeal finally on her uncle finally yeah spill the beans you really really hope that she does yeah so the time devoted to her story about her hardship and how she found empowerment mm-hmm. and strength through adversity. I do wish 
they devoted, it would be a longer movie, mm -hmm. the same amount of time to our villain's story. Our villain, Kevin Wendell Crumb's mother, abused him mm -hmm. severely. And, and they only hint at it a couple of times. Right. And then there's like two flashbacks and they're really short and it's a mother doing this. What my beef is, is that men are unsympathetic characters when they are abused. And this is a, an issue I have. People don't sympathize with that. They do sympathize with her. And as it's written, I know he wants to put butts in seats and he wants the movie to be successful and entertaining. So it's very difficult to do that with a male protagonist who is abused. And he doesn't. It's a male villain. So In a story like this, you, you want to have your focus be on the personalities and not so much the cause of the personalities. Even though that is fascinating like what causes dissociative identity disorder but i i get what you're saying like i think it would be cool to... it would just have to be like a miniseries yeah <laughs> yeah it like would be an old time abc three episode miniseries uh-huh two hours each right but we already have those stories though is the thing i mean we have like sybil and you know all these things of uh, but Sybil didn't turn into a monster at the end and <laughs> rampage and Sybil's also a woman who didn't go on a murder spree this is a man going on well, a murder spree well I know spree. I know I, I think it's uh... and I feel really sad for him well, sure. I mean, but the movie is telling me to treat him like a monster. Well, he is a he monster. He becomes a monster. At what point do we treat people who have mental illnesses? What At what point is it okay to vilify them? That's a good point, and that's a good question, because we are always dehumanizing people with mental illness. And a person with a broken brain, and that's what it is. A person yeah. with a fragmented brain in which personalities. DID is when a person's brain fragments so that one part takes the brunt of the punishment or the trauma mm -hmm. more than the next. It fragments into many parts that take the brunt while the original personality, the one the person was truly born with, stays intact. Or that's the plan mm -hmm. that the fragmented brain has. Most of the time it does stem from some sort of trauma that has happened to that person a lot of times in their childhood. Yes. Which is in the case of Kevin Wendell Crumb and his mother abusing him in a very Joan Crawford sort of way. Let, let's get into DID a little bit. Okay. There's a big debate in the psychological community of whether DID is legitimate or not. There's two schools. One is the biological psychiatrists. Now, they are the ones who can prescribe medicine. There must be biological explanations for things. And then the other school comes from the psychologists who they deal more with the human condition. Like they're the therapists trying to get people to work the through things. The psyches and yeah. the abstract concepts of the mind mm -hmm. as opposed to chemical responses right, in the exactly, brain. Right, exactly. This film explores more of the argument of DID exists. I mean, obviously that's what this movie is about. And the psychologist in this film is a very staunch believer in DID and she has a theory that people who have split personalities somehow maybe are better humans. Like, maybe even a supernatural 
natural sense. Like they have these. Wasn't it put like evolved humans at one right, point? Right, right. They're more in tune to certain things and are able to overcome things. It's really interesting in theory. And I pictured, like as I watched this film, I pictured M. Night Shyamalan just reading about some like crazy DID story and going, hmm. <laughs> you know, like. What if? How can I tie yeah. this to the sixth? sense right <laughs> so not, not really six sense guys i'm just joking yeah figure it out right so uh, there's there's a lot of what if like you just said so what i wanted to do is go into reasons why did does not exist what yeah. it doesn't <laughs> well i don't want to be a person who watches a film and goes, wow, everything that I just saw is true. Sure. You know? Yeah. So I... I'm glad this movie wasn't based on a true story in <laughs> yeah. front of it. Sybil is, as you mentioned. Right. That is based on a true story, but how true is that? Yeah, exactly. All right, so let's get into the skeptics here, okay? The main argument against DID is that the media influences people so much that they come up with these self-diagnoses because people are always looking for easy answers and ways to rationalize what they're going through. Usually there is a spike in DID diagnosis after a movie or a book or a talk show appearance. After these stories gain popularity, people start thinking, oh, well, maybe I have multiple personalities. Now, in the 50s, this took place Mm -hmm. with a movie. Yeah, there was a movie called The Three Faces of Eve, which was based on a book written by this woman who... She actually had upwards to 50 or so different personalities, But at the time, in the movie, she just had three. Mm -hmm. Joanne Woodward plays this woman in the film, and she does a really great job, and she actually won some awards. That that film was very critically acclaimed. It's a pretty good flick. Yeah, it's For what it is. And it's played not as a horror movie, but as a tense drama. Yes. That film really influenced people. Also, Sybil, like we just said, like there was a spike in DID interest and diagnosis when Sybil came out. I think it was in the 1970s. Is that right? Mm-hmm. It was a miniseries. Later on, in more recent years, Oprah had a bunch of different multiple personality people on her show. The most notable was a lady named Kim Noble, who claimed to have over a hundred personalities. 1999, well, 96, came Fight Club, the book, and then 99. That's the dude version of it, where there's just (laughs) two dudes, but it is D.I.D. Yeah. There's the narrator, and there's Tyler Durden. Uh There's two people living in one brain one takes over when whenever yeah and it's fascinating but it's called a fugue state in that sense and i did watch a documentary on msnbc about a british man who had this situation happen to him where he was a family man and then he would just leave in the middle of the night after going to bed mm-hmm. going to his apartment under a different name getting dressed in those clothes and then going to work, like, as a construction worker or something. And he never understood for a long time why he was so exhausted. It's very similar to Fight Club. And I saw the documentary around the same time as Fight Club. And I think Mm. that they were like, hey, this is, like, an interesting idea. we got Fight Club coming out. Let's do a documentary on it. Yeah, maybe so. It was, like, an hour-long sort of thing. But it was fascinating. But you're saying that there's some sort of possible untruth to that. Yeah, and most of the time... 
how it becomes an accepted untruth is that therapists will lead their patients. Is this like therapists leading the children during the satanic panic? Yeah. Recessive memories thing? Uh huh. Yeah, I, I think that that's a little more malicious in nature than what this is referring to. Some therapists might be too naive to really know what they're doing or some of them might be really enthusiastic to be like oh my gosh i have this really insane person so i'm excited to be able to treat them so they end up feeding these suggestions to their patients and skeptics claim that did is an iatrogenic disorder which means it's caused by the treatment Okay, that's a strange word. <laughs> it is. Iotrogenic. Why iotrogenic? <laughs> right. To the moon! Another example for an explanation of that word, if you're unfamiliar with it, is if you're having surgery on your gallbladder or something, and while the surgeon is removing it or doing whatever, he ends up nicking your spleen. So now you have a problem with your spleen, but it's because you're being treated for this other thing. Okay, in a different sense, would you say that like a cancer treatment that's making somebody sick feel very, very sick and mm -hmm. it's doing damage to their nerves, mm -hmm. even though it's killing the cancer, and they have now nerve damage that's right. iatrogenic? So now they have another problem, yes. Okay, we're okay. clear. All right. <laughs> Something that this film brings up is the idea that multiple personalities will have different brain chemistries, different attributes, not just a, oh, this person um, acts a certain way and this this other person doesn't, you know? Not like, oh, this personality likes dogs and this one likes cats, you know? It's more... Uh, like there's a physiological change? Yes, and that, that's something that the film brings up with uh, one of the personalities uh, has diabetes. I hate my insulin shots. No one else around here has to take them. Why do I have to diabetes? All the doctors say that we're the same person, just personalities. Huh? How do you explain I'm the only one that needs these, you motherfucker? which uh, the other ones do not. And th what's interesting is that all of these personalities know each other, uh -huh. and this one was complaining. Now, believers of DID will say that patients can produce different EEG readings, but the skeptics counter that with, well, actors who are portraying roles and they get so into it, like maybe method, method yes, they can do the same thing. Hmm. I guess, sort of. I mean, I don't really know. It's said that Al Pacino, when he was working on Scent of a Woman, he got an Oscar for it. He said that he went blind. Like, he really couldn't see while he was really? on set. But it's not black blind. What he did is he ended up fuzzing his vision. Oh. So everything is off focus, so it really doesn't look like he's looking at anybody. Uh-huh. And so basically, he's almost like cross-eyed or whatever, but not cross-eyed. So he's staring at some sort of midpoint between everybody. And so he did that for so long that he just couldn't focus anymore. And so he's doing the role, tapping around uh -huh. convincingly because he himself has said that he actually did yeah. go a version of blind. Yeah. So it is possible that people are manufacturing these physical changes. One of the arguments to prove DID mentions that maybe one personality has different handwriting than the other. Like I, I think in the film, Dr. Fletcher mentioned 
mentioned something about the student that I was working with. Her left and right hand were were taking notes in different handwritings about separate things at the same time. The differences in the identities can be dramatic. That seems way far out. It does, and one of the reasons is our handwritings, like even, even people who don't suffer from DID, our handwritings change so much depending on our moods, you, you know? Um, My handwriting is constantly changing. <laughs> yeah. The only thing that stays is the A in my signature and the B in my signature. Sure. The rest is different mm -hmm. and always. Yeah, so I mean, you can you can change your handwriting just at a whim. So it's not necessarily indicative of a multiple personality. So if it's not a real thing, how can we explain all these people who seem to be suffering from it? Well, is there a set number, not really a set number, but is there a rough number of people that have suffered from this? I didn't come across that in my research, but what I did come across is the fact that there are so many people who suffer from a variety of psychological disorders like uh, you know bipolar disorder or borderline personality anxiety depression even schizophrenia that DID experiencers have could have elements of those disorders within them so really the general thought in the, the psychological community is that DID is not created by different personalities but what it is is different facets of one really distressed person. You know, dissociation is something that we all experience from time to time and to a, a milder degree. Well, how would I have... Well, it's used to describe a lot of things. I mean, from something as simple as daydreaming to having poor attentiveness. I don't agree with that. That is what a book says, or that is what the psychological handbook, whatever that's called, that's what they may say. But daydreaming, I can't say that that's dissociative for me because I was a daydreamer. As a child, I was a daydreamer. It's because I have an imagination. My imagination was like, one, it was simply observing colors and interesting imagery. So I would look out and wonder about those colors and interesting imagery out the window. I wouldn't want to be doing my work because the work was boring and dull and it didn't tickle my creative mind because I'm an illustrator and I've always drawn I've always wanted to draw things and make things up but those things that are made up were never real to me I don't believe I've even had an imaginary friend well it's not escaping into a different reality it's just not paying attention to, to how is that dissociation then? that's just not paying well, attention well I'm not a psychologist so I don't well know. I'm just simply saying I don't agree with those psychologists well that's fine but what other examples are something they refer to as highway hypnosis. That's interesting. Yeah. My brother had that and wrecked a car. Well, it's not exactly, you think maybe it's a blackout, but it's not a blackout so much as uh, you're just driving and... It's usually on a flat plane. Something like that. And you kind of don't realize where you are for a second. You zone out because you're so familiar with everything that's around you. Well, there's a couple of reasons for that. Part of that is that blindness. Yeah. There's a thing that happens at the eye that you've driven this road for so long constantly to and from work. You travel that the same every day. That 
that you skip a certain, you like don't know how did I get from here to there because your brain has it already programmed in due to familiarity. This is a true thing so that your brain doesn't overload on imagery constantly. But highway hypnosis is something a little bit different from what I understand. You stare mm-hmm. off into the distance and the, maybe the parallax of the line in the road. Mm-hmm. It's any number of hypnotic type factors. Mm-hmm. Twilight is a very bad time for it where the horizon's yeah. really light and the road is really dark and you just drift. Mm-hmm. And this is what happened with my brother. He flipped a pickup truck hmm. and shattered his wrist. Now he's got a metal wrist. Ooh. Like he's totally always wanted to be metal. Now he is. The other thing is uh, zoning out while you're reading that's a really common mild dissociative thing you know you're reading a book and you start this paragraph and you're going along and you're reading and you know that you're reading it but you get to the end of the page and you're like wait what what did i just read like you have no idea of what those words were now my experience in this stuff comes from being dyslexic but not only just what you described which i have experienced it's the skipping from one sentence down to maybe two sentences lower or so and Mm -hmm. picking up in middle point of that so it's completely skipped a section and it doesn't make sense to me so i would have to go back and read that over and over again until finally i get to the correct line this is of course if i'm not using a sentence guide Mm -hmm. but dissociation to me means like fragmented brain so there's no trauma as you said trauma brings this about Mm -hmm. so you're reading this page what's the trauma eye fatigue well that's what really i mean it's very very mild that's my point is that it's such a mild thing that it's something that we all could potentially experience it's easily explainable so let's just say that did does exist and this is a moral question now of can you punish all of the consciousnesses inside of a person for crimes that one of them committed and this is something that happens in court i don't want to say a lot because it's the rare occurrence of did but who's going to be accountable for crimes right so if you think of it like possession or mm-hmm. even twin peaksy where uh... everybody take a drink <laughs> andrew said twin peaks Hey, it's my favorite show. People have been known in the town of Twin Peaks and elsewhere to have been possessed by what a psychologist would say, not a demon or anything, it would just be DID, but since it's possession in the show, it's actually one creature named Bob. So it's demon possession. Mm -hmm. And so we treat it like as a viewer of the show. Well, it's not really their fault. They're not complicit in their actions when they're possessed. Yeah, it's something similar to that. Yeah, Uh, there have been cases where a sympathetic judge will require the altars to be sworn in separately or that the altars require different legal representation for each of them. Wow. Yeah, there have been some really remarkable court cases. One in particular happened in my home state of Tennessee. Is this the zoo man? This is the zoo man. I have no knowledge other than... (laughs) Name the zoo man. Okay. Of the zoo man. 
This is interesting because I wonder if M. Night Shyamalan had an idea about the Zoo Man when he made this film. In if he was aware of the Zoo Man story before he wrote Split. Yeah, because, uh, you know, it turns out in Split that the, the guy works at the zoo. Yeah. They're not similar beyond the multiple personalities and the zoo aspect, but... Okay. Okay. So tell me about this so-called Zoo Man. <laughs> Okay. This was the longest, most expensive murder trial in the history of Tennessee. Hmm. A man named Thomas Husky, who worked at the Knoxville Zoo, he worked in the elephant barn. He had a reputation among the ladies of the night. They're the ones who called him the zoo man because he worked at the zoo. He would pick up a prostitute, take her into the woods just off the interstate, and be kind of violent with her, bind her, maybe beat her, and end up raping her. Now, people think that, oh, well, you know, how can a prostitute be raped? Because she's, you know, it's her profession to to have sex, you know, but it's not, it's quite possible for a prostitute to be raped. Any non-consensual sex is rape. Yes. To say that a prostitute, because her profession is and she trades in sex to say that she can't not give consent is ridiculous yes yes absolutely in 1992 one of the women went to the police after she got away from him and when she took the detective back to the woods in the place where he held her coincidentally he was there with another woman doing the same thing oh geez so that's how he got arrested wow yeah what um, luck not long after that a hunter was in the woods and he came across a woman's dead body and And the investigation from that turned out that there were three more bodies in the woods and they figured out that this man, Thomas Husky, had killed these women, these prostitutes. He had, you know, done Mm -hmm. done the same thing, raped them and killed them. So he was brought up on murder charges as well. And while he was detained, the first interview with the TBI... It's just like the FBI, but for Tennessee. Yes. It was nothing out of the ordinary. Later on, he asked to talk to the agent some more. When the agent went into the interrogation room, it was like he was talking to a different person, he said. This time, Husky was much more demanding of the agent. It was meaner. He smoked cigarettes. Like, he was completely different than the gentle, kind of mild-mannered Thomas Husky that he had talked to before. And, lo and behold, he did have differences in handwriting. Mm. Husky was left-handed, and this new guy was right-handed. But the detectives thought that it was all an act. Like Primal Fear. Oh, I ruined that movie for everybody. (laughs) Whoops. Oh, is that the one with Edward Norton? Yeah. Okay. Edward Norton was in two dissociative personality movies, Fight Club and his very first one, Primal Fear. Right. Still almost Mm -hmm. a good movie. Mm -hmm. It's not quite, but it's almost. Mm -hmm. So they kept thinking that Husky was faking the whole multiple personality Did he only have two guys? Uh, no, when he was in jail, he actually developed a couple more, like a, a two more emerged, of course. Emerged, okay. yeah. developed or made up or yeah. emerged. Were they real? Well, one of them in particular, his name was Dax. 
and he was from England and the DA insisted that he had made him up because he was watching a soap opera while he was in jail and was so influenced by this character in this soap opera. Huh. So the name of the personality who came out initially, the, the meaner one, his name is Kyle. That's a horribly mean man name. <laughs> yeah. I'm Kyle. Give me cigarettes. I'm Ka- My name's Kyle. Yeah. But there's a street named Kyle. Kyle in the neighborhood that Husky grew up in in East Knoxville. Okay. So the thought is that he was influenced by all these kind of different factors. And well, wouldn't a dissociative person also be influenced by things that they grew up around in which, let's say, he had a traumatic experience and the mm-hmm. name Kyle, the word of the street Kyle was there nearby mm-hmm. and maybe his brain just would, I like that name, I'll use that as my tough guy. Yeah, maybe, maybe. And there, there was trauma in his story story too. When he was young, he was allegedly raped or or sexually assaulted by a woman. Whoa. Yeah. And he was kind of a slow person Hmm. to begin with. So it's really complicated. The jury could not come to a consensus. So there was no conclusion to this story. Like they, they all agreed that he did kill those four women. But what do we do with them? Yeah, they, they couldn't agree on what his mental state was. It was a hung jury for the longest time and it eventually ended in a mistrial in February of 1999. Now wow, he, he that's was, a long yeah, trial. Yeah, he was, he was arrested in 1992, mistrial in 1999. The murder charges were officially dropped in 2005. Good golly. So he kind of got away with murder. Where is he? He is currently incarcerated. He was convicted for the rape charges. Okay. So he is serving a 64-year sentence. Well, okay then. Yeah, so it's... He it, got away but didn't get away. Right. It's not as if he is not being punished. But he's pu- being punished for a different crime. Yeah. That he did commit. Yes. Whew. So that's the story of the zoo man. So it's interesting where Split doesn't purport that it's false at all. It has skeptics saying, I, well, I don't buy it. I don't buy it. Mm-hmm. But it has our main psychiatrist saying, no, 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 no. I've seen strange things that seem totally correct and real and valid about this case, about various other cases. So we as the audience are led to believe that is also more likely to be valid. And especially towards the end when mm-hmm. our villain does actually metamorphose into the beast. Yes, the beast. And this is where all of the trauma that the girl Casey had gone through and all of the survival lessons that her father tried to put her through and hunting lessons and paying attention and leading the animal with the shotgun and all this stuff come into play and she holds her own much more than any of the other girls did and it is finally revealed through her scars on her body Mm -hmm. that were inflicted on her by, it's implied, her uncle. And our villain looks at her as an enlightened one. Yeah. Uh, What is it that he says? Those who have not been torn have no value in themselves and no place in this world. (laughs) You are different from the rest. Your heart is you're the broken are the more evolved. 
interesting use of the word evolved when it comes to uh, evolution of the beast as well. Yeah, so what's interesting also is that ultimately the beast gets away. Mm-hmm. And so this seems to be a story of two things, really. Girl's survival and her personal story throughout this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And her little story arc where she actually does have a moment where she should fight. And she does fight. Which leads us to believe that she's going to fight again against her uncle. At least maybe legally. Mm-hmm. And the story of our villain, who is he sympathetic we're not really presented as if he's sympathetic except for those two flashbacks, which I think is a little too little too late yeah. as far as gaining our sympathy. Yeah, I don't think that they're really put there to gain our sympathy. They're just kind of put there to uh, satisfy curiosity. Well, I'm not really curious <laughs> when I want to help a person in need who has mental anguish. Hmm, so say, hmm... I'm curious. What happened to you that led you down this path? No, it's not curious. It's like, really, let's figure this out. So I'm not so sure if curious is the right word. It's an explanation. It's not an excuse. Mm-hmm. Right. So there's reasons why. Mm-hmm. But a lot of these serial killers seem to use it in a way, use it as an excuse to murder, mayhem, kill. So as presented in this film, do you think it was used as more of an excuse more of just an explanation. You said uh, it's curiosity for us. Yeah, I, I really think it's just an explanation, like a really quick... This is how we got broke? Yeah, because I, I think that the evolution of the beast is more important to what M. Night is trying to express in this film. So is that to the detriment of this film, really? Think about it. Do you just want a villain with no explanation? Or do you want a villain who is a villain who you must victor over or else. No reasoning with it. No backstory is uh-huh. going to make you sympathize with it at all. I mean, this isn't Maleficent. Right. Right? So do you think it's necessary for us to even have that? There's a device in the film of uh, when you say his uh, full name, it snaps him back into his base personality, which I don't know how that would work, really. Uh, I didn't come across any kind of uh, magic word. No, it reminded me (laughs) of in the New Testament when Jesus is talking to uh, the demon, Legion, the horde of demons, Legion, in the seemingly crazy old man on that island. He says, what's your name? We are Legion. Mm-hmm. And then he kicks them off into the herd of swine, and that swine run off and kill themselves off the edge of a mountain. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of that, where you, that has been picked up in lots of demon fighting mythos and movies. Oh, right. Wait, when you learn... Tell me your name, yeah, demon. Yeah, yeah. In Christ's name, tell me your name. And the demon's all like... <laughs> Buford. <laughs> yeah, okay, The second time watching it, I was like, eh, maybe it's that because M. Night is a Catholic. Mm. So, perhaps. Yeah, maybe. So, it's useful to see just a tad bit of his background, of his origin, just to have that plot device. 
Because it wouldn't really make sense otherwise. Yeah, because his mother yells the name. Uh-huh. And, and that's what brings him back. That's, that's the trigger. Maybe maybe that's simply what it is. Yeah. To make him the, the helpless, regular mm-hmm. right. guy. Right. Without any buffer power. Yeah. So I don't think that we can talk about M. Night Shyamalan without talking about twist endings. The twist ending of Stuart Little was bonkers! I didn't see that. You'll, you Please don't spoil it for me. Oh. What I think is funny about the twist to ending is that we act like it's something that hasn't been around forever and it has well his twist ending was something that revolutionized cinema because cinema wasn't doing the twist ending I mean, he had a couple of things so i think usual suspects did it you also had tarantino's whole entire movie two movies <laughs> reservoir dogs and pulp fiction sort of being twists upon twists because of how out of order editing they are Otherwise, there's no twist. And then you have Sixth Sense, in which he sets a precedent. After making a movie called Wide Awake, which is about a boy and a nun, a family film, with Rosie O'Donnell. No twist, except that Rosie O'Donnell's in it. That's not really a twist, but whatever. And so Hollywood was like, New Spielberg! I remember them saying that. Also, wow, the twist! What's he gonna do next? What's he gonna do next to top himself? Uh So he does all of these other movies, and they all have some sort of twist. Mm-hmm. And because he's painting himself into a corner, because that's what Hollywood wanted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. Can you recall your first experience with the twist ending? It doesn't necessarily mean film. I uh, mean, just. Yeah. Okay. It was the Fat Boys doing the twist with Chubby Checker <laughs> uh-huh. cover. Okay. Was that a twist ending, though? Well, the song did end. Mm. So, technically, yes. But at the time, I didn't want it to. Okay. I don't really recall twist endings i mean like psycho or something like that the first time i remember a twist ending really having an effect on me was when i read shirley jackson's story the lottery Mm. in school now that story was written in 1948 oh wow so the twist ending has been around for a really long time and i'm not really sure this movie has a twist ending oh it really does and the twist is simply that he does change into a beast but i don't think that that's necessarily a twist like well it's this thing that you don't expect to happen and they set it up that this can't happen this can't happen this can't happen so it's probably really a fake twist because it's it's inevitable that it's going to happen it's not shocking or anything like you typically characterize a twist ending to be i really just think it's uh further development yeah it's inevitable that it happened it's constantly set up the second thing that happens in this film that could be considered a twist also isn't it's just a revelation that this is part of a bigger movie franchise right and that has to do with bruce willis yeah i i don't think this movie has a twist that's john mcclain what that's the twist oh my god so are you satisfied with the film mostly But you don't like the film? Mostly. You mostly don't like the film? Right. Well, it's hard to say. You've seen it two times now. You were impressed the first time. The second time? I don't know if I was even impressed. Really, I don't. Like, I find this movie curious and interesting. I don't know if I'm impressed by it. When I watched this movie for the first time, I was watching it with the mindset of proving people wrong about M. Night Shyamalan. Because he has such a bad reputation. Based on two movies. Based on those two movies. That, 
he can't make a good film. And you know what? He does make a good film. He has a really great eye for direction. Like all- I'll tell you the cinematography or the scene setups here are probably the most impressive looking yeah. things that he's done. Yeah. I was really happy with it. Yeah. So I am impressed in the technical aspects of this movie, of the themes in this movie. Other than that, I mean, I don't know. It's not... uh, Were you not entertained? I don't know if I was. I really don't. This is weird. I think it is a good film for... Especially for M. Night Shyamalan... Yeah, I think it's a, a comeback because I think his true comeback was The Visit. Mm-hmm. I think this is furthering on his comeback and, and continuing on his solid footing again. Mm-hmm. So I'm happy with it. I don't necessarily think that the added Bruce Willis scene is completely necessary for the film to be its own thing. But with it, it's not its own thing. So now that gets our head scratching. What else is next? Mm-hmm. And hopefully that'll be also great but i think this was a good film mm-hmm. performances and everything i think it was a good film and there was tension and things that made me uncomfortable that were intended to make me uncomfortable and if i wasn't uncomfortable there's something literally wrong with me so i think it was really a successful film i don't think it's mm-hmm. the best film ever but successful so my head's scratching at your response i know it's weird and i can't really explain it other than i fully acknowledge the skill that was put forth in this movie but i i think how i'm looking at it is more of a character study i guess it's as if I'm taking the case of uh, Kevin Wendell Crumb and just studying him as a person and, and not really the film as a whole hmm. or something. It's really, I'm having trouble explaining this, but the film did not affect me emotionally in a really excitable way as as I get when I really, really like a film. I'm like, oh, wow, wow, wow. I didn't have wow, wow, wow. I had, oh, huh, this is interesting. So is that still an endorsement of some sort? Yeah, I I think definitely people should watch this film. I'm not saying that it's not worth watching or that it's it's bad in any sense because it's absolutely not. I I know that this is a enjoyable film. It's just for me, I guess maybe I was just being too scholarly about it or something. <laughs> Both like, times. Yeah, wow. I mean I guess I'm just a nerd, but watch this movie. Yeah, I'd say watch it. I I really would venture to say you should watch anything that M. Night Shyamalan does, especially with Jason Bloom and and Bloom House. Yeah, there's two movies so far. Yeah. I agree. And with that, we leave you, everyone. Yeah, thanks for listening, and uh, we'll see you later. Good night. Good night. This podcast is brought to you by Ouch My Ego. Visit ouchmyego.com. Why I Atrogenic to the moon! Greetings, I'm Andrew Jemetsko. If you've enjoyed what you've been listening to and would like to support the show, please point your cursor to patreon.com slash G-I-M-E-T-Z-C-O. G-I-M-E-T-Z-C-O. Your support would work wonders. Thank you.